Hello, hello, and welcome to Ask the Herbalist Office Hours, the new format, at least for today's episode and certain episodes to come in the future. Uh, obviously, we have an upgraded audio experience. I hope you enjoy it. I can tell it already sounds better. And I have to say, my I have my fancy new mic here, but I don't yet have the mic stand, which was lost in the mail. So I'm holding it and hopefully will not create too much background noise with it kind of bonking around or being shifted from hand to hand because it's a little bit heavy. Anyway, so for today's episode, because we are audio, I will do things just slightly differently. Uh, I think for our housekeeping today, it is just to note that this is the new experience for now. It's not to say that there's not more video in the future. I'm just, you know, testing new formats and there are many, many new things coming this year. So as always, thank you for being on this journey with me and I will continue to bring you content, answers, connection, you know, intimacy, and all the things in the medium as, you know, in the in the medium that's most appropriate for the message, right? So the other thing that I'm going to do today is go deeply into a couple of issues that are related to each other, as opposed to bouncing around between a bunch of different topics as I do sometimes, but the last episode was very focused and I liked the way that felt. I know that one was a story, but I think being able to focus on one issue at a time also will allow you to find what you're looking for in past episodes. So that's my intention for the next few sessions. Uh, As always, I can't promise that it won't change again, (laughs) but we'll We'll get it right um, as we go along and keep on keeping on. So the other note that I wanted to make is I don't have a book to show you today, but I wanted to mention one that I love. So this book is on its way out. It's not actually out yet, but I read the previous book that the same author had written and I loved it. So I wanted to share these with you. So the new book that's coming out is called Fieldwork, and it's by Elena Reagan, who is a chef, but also a forager and a naturalist, I would say. I don't know if she calls herself a naturalist, but her first book was called Burn the Place, and it's about her experience growing up on a farm, and it's the most similar growing up on a farm experience to my own I have ever heard or ever read. She describes foraging for mushrooms. She describes working with animals. She describes, you know, just the lifestyle of growing up in the wild. And I believe she was in Indiana. Indiana, I think is where she was. And I obviously was not, but as I was reading it, I thought, oh my gosh, she must be in the Pacific Northwest. It sounds like my story. So Burn the Place was a great book, especially if you're interested in food and chef work. But honestly, it's very, uh, and small business actually, because she talks about the experience of starting her own uh, restaurants 
and bakeries. And most of the book is about her upbringing and just the end of it becomes about her restaurant work and kind of business building. And she's actually in New York right now giving some readings and conversations in promotion of her next book, which is called Field Work. And I will read that as soon as it's out. And I'll actually go see her tomorrow night uh, because I'm excited to listen to her talk about her work. So I highly recommend Burn the Place. And I anticipate that I will recommend Field Work by Elena Reagan. And her name is spelled with an I, Elena Reagan. So those are my book recommendations for today. And otherwise, we can jump into today's topic or topics. So one of the questions that we received or that I received, I think it's we, that's we, we're all in this together, is about supporting intermittent fasting with herbs. And I took this question and a couple of others and kind of grouped them in together. So I'm going to talk about a little bit about intermittent fasting, but not much because I've covered it already. And then I'm going to talk about herbs that support intermittent fasting because I've never done that before. And also, you know, herbs that support things related to cravings and energy and kind of all these surrounding topics you know, that are related to intermittent fasting. And then I want to talk about insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome, because these are, I think, even if you haven't asked about this yet, you probably know someone, if you're not curious about this, you know, somebody who is, or you will be glad to know about it. I think it's a huge topic. And um, I think it's very important to share here. And I anticipate kind of answering a lot of questions that you may not no, you have. <laughs> so that will be the focus for today's um, topic. That will be the topic for today's focus, whichever order you want that to go in. And I'll dive in now. So the question we received to start this all was, uh, will you talk more in depth about intermittent fasting and how to support it with herbs? What's the best way to break a fast? Uh, I see a lot of conflicting information about it. And how some people say it's unnecessary and can do more harm than good. Could you also uh, let me know if you've covered this topic in the past because I'm still catching up. So I did cover intermittent fasting in the past. So in the episode from November 17th last year and the episode from September 8th last year, I did talk about intermittent fasting. And then on my website, which I will link in the show notes here, I have also talked about intermittent fasting. Actually, if you can believe it, one of the very first things I ever blogged about, because this used to be a blog, as you know, was intermittent fasting. Uh, I started practicing it very, very early in my journey. I went to Honduras on a retreat with my friend Wendy, and it was a uh, raw retreat. And it was an Ashtanga yoga retreat and it involved intermittent fasting. And after that retreat, I continued to practice it and I have been practicing it ever since. So that's probably eight years now, intermittent fasting. It's very much a lifestyle at this point, as you can imagine. And I practice the style where 
I eat for about eight hours during the day and I stop eating for about 16 hours. It's very consistently 8, 16 at this point. Um, so in the evening, you know, I'll finish dinner right now. I'm finishing dinner around 745 and then I will not have my breakfast until about 1145 in the morning the next day. And that is fasting. And that works really well for me. Uh, everybody's different, but generally, you know, for longevity, for sleep, for uh, all of these things that we want, you know, to support with intermittent fasting, it's it's generally advised to fast while you're sleeping and while the sun is down. So, you know, it's unrealistic for me to start fasting at 5 p.m. when the sun goes down. But some people will do that, right? And then they'll just eat their breakfast much earlier in the morning. It's not a bad idea. Um, but if you can't manage that because, you know, so many of us are still at work at 5 p.m., then you just want to start fasting as soon as possible after your dinner. And what that does is also helps to move your dinner, you know, earlier into the evening. So you're not ending your dinner at like 10 p.m., right? And, uh, and then you just, you know, take a break until it's time to eat the next day. I will say that 16 hours is quite long if you're new to fasting. So I wouldn't recommend jumping right into a 16 hour fast. If you haven't done it before, start with 12 hours and work your way up. Um, 16 is, it's quite a long time and you don't, you don't want to be starving. Uh, and we'll talk about some of these things that can support that, but the point is not to stress yourself out and to be starving. It's to slowly, uh, train your body to this eat, stop, eat, uh, approach as opposed to constant grazing or eating late, you know, snacking all the time. Um, this is great for digestion, energy levels, blood, blood sugar stabilization, uh, especially if we're eating good foods. And it trains your body to burn fat for fuel because our bodies will burn glucose first always. And for constantly eating, we're constantly eating glucose generally, uh, some form of it, you know, even in good things like carrots and sweet potatoes, then our body's going to burn that fuel first. It will not tap into the stores on our body uh, until it's worked through everything that we've given it as immediate fuel. So you want to give it a break so that it can actually, you know, do that. And then there's also autophagy or autophagy, which is this kind of cellular cleanup that happens. And I think this is the most compelling reason to do intermittent fasting. You know, there's a cellular cleanup that happens when we're not eating, our bodies can go to work repairing themselves, just like our brain repairs itself when we sleep. We're not using it. Well, we're not using it in the same way, right? So I find that to be the most compelling reason to practice intermittent fasting, uh, but other people have different reasons for doing so. Uh, now... In terms of herbs to support intermittent fasting, the first, and this is not in order of priority, it's just in order of how I wrote it down. So the first category of herbs that I would recommend considering are blood sugar balancers. And these aren't even all herbs. Some of them are other ingredients. So you guessed it, first on the list is fiber. Cannot say enough about fiber. Clearly, maybe I should call this the fiber show. <laughs> No one would listen to that, would they? So fiber is very important for blood sugar balance. 
you know, it is obviously important for a lot of other things, but the more fiber we have, generally the more stable our blood sugar is because it's slowing down the process of uh, absorbing the glucose and the protein and the fat that we've consumed. So it slows. And that's, that's what we want, right? We want that slow rise and that slow decline, not the peaks and the valleys. Those are the things that make us feel terrible, hangry, anxious, brain foggy. And those are the things that lead to insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome and diabetes and obesity. So when our blood sugar is wildly fluctuating, our body is producing insulin to help stabilize that process. And if it's constantly unstable, then our body gets resistant to the effects of that insulin and it doesn't work the way that it should. This is, this is the cliff notes version of this. And then we, then we, you know, enter this sort of spiral or cycle that becomes metabolic syndrome. Um, it's very, very common, especially in um, the Western world, and it is not something that we want to get into. So fiber helps to stabilize blood sugar, which is great for so many reasons. But um, in the ter- in, as it relates to intermittent fasting, it will help you not hit that wall of starving hunger right? Because you're not crashing. You're just slowly declining back. Your blood sugar is slowly declining down into the hunger zone. Um, So for fiber, that's just something you eat during the day. You know, you eat it at night, you eat it during the day. It's not something you have when you're fasting because you're not consuming anything with calories when you're fasting, but you just have it during the day and slowly it's going to help stabilize your blood sugar. And the more stable your blood sugar is, the less, you know, urgent your need to eat generally becomes. Um, I also recommend bitters. So I've talked about bitters a lot, uh, you know, usually in tincture form, sometimes in a spray form. You can also find them in capsules these days. Ingredients like wormwood, artichoke, gentian, orange peel. Let's see, I have some on my desk here. I'll read some of their ingredients. Probably the same that I just mentioned. Orange peel, gentian, um, milk thistle, lemon balm, dandelion root, burdock root, ginger root, yellow dock root. Roots tend to be bitter, dandelion, burdock, you know, all these things. And bitters are great for stabilizing blood sugar. They're also great for liver function. They're also great for digestion. And they have this kind of downward and outward action on the body. So again, primarily when it comes to intermittent fasting, what you're doing is helping to support your digestion and also stabilize blood sugar. And this is bitters you can use anytime. So you could use them when you're, when you're fasting if you want. But I think this is another one of those ingredients that you would generally want to work into your daytime um, routine because we ideally like to have bitters before meals, right? So you take them, they stimulate and improve your digestion, and then you eat your food and your blood sugar can stay stabler uh, during that time. Propolis is another ingredient. Uh, It helps to improve insulin sensitivity and decrease blood sugar. St. John's wort, 
uh, works really well with metformin, which is interesting. So if, if you're not taking metformin, I don't recommend starting it. It's a, it's a drug generally, uh, it's a drug pharmaceutical. Um, but if you are taking metformin, then it's interesting to know that there are certain things that work well with it. Now, there are a lot of people in the wellness and kind of biohacking community who are healthy, you know, don't have diabetes or insulin sensitivity, and they take metformin sort of uh, preventatively. Uh, It's a curious thing. I I understand it, you know, and I've thought about it, but uh, it's not something that I choose to do. So if you're kind of, if you hear that or you're wondering what people are doing, they're, they're basically using a medication that's to treat, you know, a disease or a, an imbalance that they don't have because it's so effective at stabilizing their blood sugar. So just kind of taking advantage of that preventatively. Um, nettles, so stinging nettle, nettle leaf helps to reduce uh, fasting blood glucose. So this is a tea. So now, for example, if you're fasting, you could use nettle tea if you wanted. Um, functional mushrooms are another great one. Aloe vera is another great one. Turmeric, apple cider vinegar. So I believe her name is the glucose goddess. And many of you are probably following her. And she talks a lot about the effects of apple cider vinegar before certain meals to help stabilize blood sugar. And she has these great graphs. I highly recommend it. It's a perfect example of how these ingredients can stabilize those fluctuations and help us not crash. And and this is, you know, again, this is all around the food that you're eating during the day, but you're improving your overall systemic stability, which is going to make fasting easier for you and just, and more comfortable, right? So also herbs that contain berberine. And we'll talk about those a little bit more later as well. In addition, uh, another category of herbs to support fasting, I would recommend are sort of hunger or craving minimizers. So one example is hops. Hops helps to increase feelings of satiety and normalize glucose metabolism. And hops are uh, a bitter, so they are considered a bitter as well. And they are... Yes, they are in beer. I don't recommend drinking beer for the for the hops, but they're a sedative. Uh, so if you're drinking a hops tea or something like that, keep that to the evening. It can be great after dinner. They're quite bitter. So if you can't hack the tea, do a capsule or a tincture. Then we have gymnema. Gymnema is so neat. So it blocks sugar receptors temporarily and helps to reduce uh, the insulin requirement. So you'll understand that a bit more if you don't understand what that means now. Um, You'll understand it later when we talk about that. But gymnema is is a colon to help with sugar cravings specifically. And then one of my favorite surprise um, craving minimizers is 5-HTP. Now, if you're using pharmaceutical medications for mood, uh, then you will not want to mix that with 5-HTP unless you review that with your primary health care provider first. Uh, I'll probably just need to put a caveat on the beginning of all of these episodes going forward 
to mention that any of these herbs and supplements shouldn't be mixed with pharmaceutical medications without first reviewing that with your doctor. Um, but 5-HTP helps to increase uh, levels of serotonin in the brain. And if you recall, because I talk about this periodically, if you recall, a lot of our cravings come from hormone fluctuations, and many neurotransmitters are also hormones. Hormone fluctuations, neurotransmitter fluctuations, which is the same neurochemical fluctuations, and dropping serotonin levels. Our body then craves carbohydrates because carbohydrates are a a building block or a precursor or they're, you know, a trigger for our brain to produce serotonin, right? We eat carbs and we get that hit of serotonin and we say, "Mm, (laughs) I feel good now. I feel better you know, I, I feel satisfied. Like, where is that? Where is that coming from? Is that coming from our stomach? No, it's coming from our, well, maybe because there's lots of serotonin receptors in our gut as well, but it's not like, oh, I'm full now. It's like, mm, I'm, I'm carbed, right? Like I have that carb, like glow. <laughs> that is, that is a perfect example of our body wanted serotonin. And so we, we were told, you know, go eat carbohydrates because then that's going to trigger my brain to produce serotonin. Um, So one of the ways around that and, you know, to help break that habit uh, is to use uh, 5-HTP, for example, which helps to increase levels of serotonin in the brain. Um, Again, helps to minimize appetite and cravings. Uh, I don't actually recommend using 5-HTP for that purpose. I think it's more important to understand that it has that side effect. Uh, My favorite is to find other activities, other things that are unrelated to eating carbs to help boost your serotonin when you're feeling that crave. And that'll help break the cycle of I have to eat to feel better, right? If we need to eat, you know, we want to eat, then it's just a matter of choosing good carbohydrates, sweet potatoes, you know, fruit, that kind of thing. But if you're really stuck in that cycle of like, I crave sugar, I crave carbs, and I know it's emotionally driven, then things like this can help break that cycle. Another example uh, or another category of herbs and supplements that help to support fasting are energizers. And these you generally do see uh, used during fasting hours. So you wake up in the morning, you know, I wake up in the morning at 7 a.m. I have many hours until I'm going to eat. One of the things I have is my coffee, herbal coffee mix, right? So there's rhodiola, ginsengs, dandelion root, burdock root, uh, caffeine from the coffee. We do cold brew at home. So have a little bit of that mixed in all of these energizers, um, help to give us the energy that we would otherwise be getting from food. Right. And this is a sort of fault. Like when it, when it's caffeine, it's a false energy in the sense that, you know, it's stimulating us and it's not giving us anything in return. It's just draining our gas tank. So you want to be really careful with how much you rely on stimulants. 
Um, but the adaptogens that are stimulating, like the ginsengs and the rhodiola, those are also replenishing our stress system at the same time that they're, you know, burning some fuel. So it's a give, give, give situation there. And caffeine is also an appetite suppressant. So again, I'm not advocating for anything unhealthy here, but it's worth knowing that like if you have your matcha, you have your tea, you have your coffee, you're getting a little stimulation, you're also getting an appetite suppressant. It's going to wear off, um, but it helps to, you know, push through some of those hours. The other thing that I do is I exercise and I really recommend exercising in a fasted state when you are comfortable with that. Um, a lot of people do. There are a lot of benefits from that. And when we exercise, our body burns glucose, right? So if, you, if I haven't eaten anything since, you know, 8 p.m. the night before and I'm going to go for a run at 9 a.m. in the morning, my body's burning the fuel that's on it, Right burning any stores of glucose, burning any stores of fat. And generally, that's what we want, unless you're trying to gain weight. If you're trying to gain weight, then I don't recommend intermittent fasting or exercising in a fasted state. But if you're trying to lose you know, weight or change your body composition, then exercising in a fasted state is a great idea. Also, it increases your blood sugar for a period of time because your body is pumping that glucose into your blood. So if anybody's had this experience, it happens to me all the time. I might be a little hungry and I go out for my run. I'm definitely not hungry at all the entire time I'm exercising. And I get back and my run starts to, you know, I start to cool off and then I'm hungry, right? So it's like my body fed itself while I was exercising. And then when I quit exercising, it was like, okay, we don't have any more fuel now. <laughs> so then you can eat. And then the last supplement that is helpful for intermittent fasting is MCT oil. And MCT oil is this weird, you know, like supplement slash food slash gray area. And what it is, is a, an oil that is so refined that it's technically a supplement, not a food. So our body doesn't really digest it like it does typical food. And yet it serves as a kind of fuel. So it's a fuel for our body that's sort of direct, you know, kind of bypassing digestion and going straight into the organs that need it. I find that if I compare it to fish oil, that's kind of helpful for people to understand. It's sort of like, yeah, when you take fish oil, like, do you think of that as food? Not really, right? You're like, oh yeah, I'm feeding my brain with this right now, right? So MCT oil is similar. Um, it kind of bypasses digestion and works as fuel for the body. It, so again, you know, technically does it break a fast? Yeah, it does. Um, like, does that matter? Mm, depends on the kind of fast you're you're having. And that if you have questions about the kinds of fasts and the benefits of those, you can look in the, you can listen to that episode when I talk about fasts and the types. Um, if you're not worried about the, like, technically does it break a fast, but am I, and you know, and you're more worried about, am I getting the benefits of fasting? Then you can use MCT oil. So like, I don't care if technically it does or doesn't break a fast. I care about, 
am I getting the benefits of fasting? Am I getting longevity benefits? Am I getting the blood sugar, you know, stability benefits? Am I getting that autophagy? Am I, you know, am I basically, am I getting the benefits of the fast, whether or not on paper, you know, I have, I have technically broken it. Uh, and so I use MCT oil. I only use about a half of a tablespoon, sometimes a tablespoon. Um, if you add butter to your coffee, you're 100% breaking the fast and you're not getting benefits anymore because butter is a food. <laughs> MCT oil, you can think of as a supplement. Uh, yeah, so those are some of the herbs and supplements that I would recommend um, using around intermittent fasting. In terms of the best way to break a fast, it doesn't matter. Just break it with really good food. You could have a green juice. You can have a smoothie, you can have a veggie scramble, you can have whatever you want, really. But the point is still to eat well, right? So during the, that eight hours, you still need to eat as much as you need on a daily basis. And it should all be all the high quality good things. But when it comes time to eat, do your thing, you know, just eat. There's not a, there's not a rule on what to break a fast with. If you were doing like a 24 hour fast or, you know, you're doing a water, a dry fast, or you're doing something way more complicated, there could be some value in breaking the fast a bit gently. Like don't eat a, I don't know, I wouldn't recommend eating a steak at any point, but maybe you don't, you know, jump right into 24 hours off into a steak. That said, I don't know if that's really a concern, you know, what you eat when you break your fast. Maybe a question for another time if we're really curious about it. Okay, so that is that. Now I'm going to talk about this sort of context around, you know, fasting and metabolism and insulin and blood sugar. And let's do that. <laughs> so um, what is insulin and insulin resistance? Uh, insulin is a peptide hormone. It's secreted by cells in our pancreas. And it's essential for the way that the cells in our body use glucose. And insulin works by activating glucose receptors and allowing for blood sugar to pass into cells. So glucose or blood sugar is used to fuel our metabolism. It's also used in the form of glycogen for the liver and the muscles. Um, it's needed for all sorts of functions in the body. Um, amino acid uptake by almost all cells, um, and this is insulin, sorry. Insulin is, is needed for almost all of, or for so many functions. So amino acid uptake in the cells, um, stimulating the breakdown of glucose, right? We want it to be broken down as opposed to stored. Uh, fat production, which is produced from glucose. Uh, it inhibits the synthesis of protein into glucose. So in a healthy person, insulin acts as a vasodilator. So it's dilating your blood vessels. And I actually noticed this very, uh, in a very pronounced way, uh, when I eat often. So especially at night, for some reason, I'm trying to think maybe at night because it's a large meal for me. 
But um, if you've ever had the experience where you eat and then you get warm or you can see, so I often see the veins, you know, in my hands become more pronounced, you know, they're like pulsing and fuller. I might get a little flushed, nothing like, (laughs) nothing scary, but like you feel it, you're like, oh good, you know, I'm warm, I'm fueled. You know, part of that is the function of insulin acting as a vasodilator, right? It's dilating those blood vessels and uh, our blood is, you know, sort of circulating in a better way. And uh, in in an insulin resistant person, um, excessive levels of insulin will increase vasoconstriction and increase blood pressure. And it will, there's a sort of cascade effect of all of these other um, negative effects, one of which is uh, the, the promotion of abnormal cell growth. So things like cancer, skin tags, fibroids, BPH, uh, excessive insulin also inhibit, inhibits the secretion of growth hormone. And we don't want to do that. So if you, you see a lot of practices, especially in the health and wellness world, where like this, imp- this increases HGH, human growth hormone, it supports this. So if we have ex- excess insulin, then it's working negatively there. Um, and HGH is needed to enhance cellular protein synthesis, to promote insulin sensitivity, uh, to stimulate the utilization of fat for cellular fuel, so allowing us to burn fat. Um, and it also affects thyroid hormones and thyroid hormones stimulate the metabolism. So we can become resistant to insulin for many different reasons. Um, it can be genetic. It can be from chronically elevated insulin levels. And that comes from, like I mentioned earlier, unstable blood sugar, or eating the wrong kinds of foods, lots of processed foods, lots of flour, lots of sugar, uh, bad fats. We can become insulin uh, resistant from a lack of exercise, uh, high glycemic load. So that's what I just mentioned, you know, too much um, simple carbohydrate, basically. Uh, High triglycerides, uh, nutritional deficiencies, So we don't want to be deficient in things, chromium, magnesium, omega-3 fatty acids, zinc, B12, folate, vitamin D, uh, antioxidants, lots of things. Um, Obesity, especially abdominal fat. And here's where the cycle happens, right? So insulin resistance can lead to or exacerbate obesity and obesity can cause insulin resistance. So you have this like you have this cycle that begins, right? The kind of lose-lose of it, especially if the obesity is ab- abdominal. And that is where we get, that's, that's a particularly troublesome kind. Um, this tends to increase inflammation and beyond. Hypothyroidism uh, is often associated with insulin resistance, nicotine consumption, aging. So aging increases the risk of metabolic syndrome, High cortisol, so that's constant stress, right? Um, This is another cycle. High cortisol chronically can increase belly fat deposition, so increase belly fat. Um, 
And then we get, again, you see that cycle back into insulin resistance. This is also commonly connected to estrogen dominance and estrogen dominance can contribute to belly fat retention. So it's like we have to break these cycles, right? Uh, and then hormonal environmental, uh, in, sorry, environmental hormone disruptors. Sometimes when I'm reading, I'm reading ahead and getting ahead of myself, swapping the words around. Uh, so metabolic syndrome is, it's sort of a cluster. It's like a diagnosis that, that represents a cluster of um, conditions or risk factors. So it describes a number of diseases and risk factors for disease and um, the underlying process that causes or kind of defines metabolic syndrome is insulin resistance and blood sugar dysregulation. So here's my you know blood sugar point that I will just continue to beat over. You know, <laughs> I'll I'll abuse this one just like fiber, right? Um, so the term the the diagnoses or the description was originally called syndrome X. Um, and it's, you know, used to describe a constellation of diseases or symptoms. Uh, when we have long-term insulin resistance, it can lead to, and has been shown to be, you know, correlated in things like heart disease, atherosclerosis, stroke, elevated triglycerides, mitochondrial dysfunction, obesity, hypertension, PCOS, uh, uric acid, kidney stones, gallstones, increased risk of prostate and breast cancer, as well as other cancers, uh, uterine fibroids, type 2 diabetes, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, erectile dysfunction, gout, inflammatory diseases, uh, possibly be BPH, Alzheimer's disease, psoriasis, and more. So that list is why I felt like it was important to cover this topic today. I feel like many of those questions, you know, many questions about those conditions come in here. And I think it's really important to understand how, you know, <laughs> my yammering on about fiber can actually ladder up to something as serious as, you know, PCOS or something like that. And PCOS, actually, I just pulled that one out of, you know, the list, but that's uh, a great example of something that we, you know, commonly think of as hormonally driven, but is actually primarily metabolically driven. And it's because of metabolism and this metabolic condition is driving the hormone imbalance that is leading to PCOS. So, Anyway, we will continue. Uh, metabolic syndrome or syndrome X is generally uh, 25%. Where, where do we have this? Oh, 50% of metabolic syndrome is considered genetic. 25% is due to obesity and 25% is due to lack of exercise. So half genetic. And remember, we can turn genes on and off and then half Exercise and obesity; those are very, um, those are very, let's see, affectable uh, conditions. Thirty-four percent of American adults have metabolic syndrome, and it's getting worse every year. Oh, that's two thousand and nine. I'm not going to look it up right now, but I guarantee it's more than that now. 
Uh, da, da, da. So again, diagnosis of metabolic syndrome is defined as having three or more of the following risk factors, abdominal or central obesity, uh, a wide hit to waist ratio, insulin resistance, hypertension, high triglycerides, uh, high elevated fasting glucose. So a lot of those herbs I mentioned earlier help to lower that fasting glucose. Um, uh, imbalanced cholesterol levels and elevated inflammatory markers like HbA1c. So if any of you have ever had that measured, if you have not, um, let me know. Base does it, which is great. You can do that at home. And let's see. So we also see a lot more insulin resistance in children. Um, this was rare 50 years ago. Now, the treatment, it, you probably kind of gleaned, you know, what the treatment was, right? So we want to increase our metabolism. We do this by stimulating fat burning, increasing exercise, increasing muscle mass. Uh, all of, I, I imagine that more questions will come up about some of these points as I go through these. So I won't spend too, too much time on each one. Um, but obviously ask if you want me to dig into something in the future, like metabolism. How do we, you know, I could do a deep dive on that too. Uh, here's a big one, reducing caloric intake and eliminating high glycemic foods. So reducing caloric intake is one of the benefits and one of the side effects of intermittent fasting, right? If we're not eating all day long from dawn until bedtime, we're probably eating less. Now we're not supposed to, um, you know, cut, cut calories and intermittent fast, right? It's just something that sort of happens naturally when you're like, well, I have eight hours and, you know, about three meals within that time frame. I'm not snacking before and after, naturally that in that caloric intake tends to go down and then eliminating the high glycemic foods. You guys know what those are sugar, flour, uh, juice, uh, cookies, your baked goods, uh, refined, you know, foods, things like that. Getting enough sleep. This is a huge one. Sleep is amazing for wait for it. Blood sugar. Uh, and it, Oh my gosh. Also, um, cortisol levels. And you know, that experience, right. Of being tired and it's late at night and you're like, get me out of the kitchen. Cause I'm just going to eat everything in here. That is a combination of your body, your brain craving that sleep. Right. And when we're, when we're, when we're tired, our impulse control is terrible. <laughs> so if you combine being tired with high cortisol levels it gets very hard to break these cycles of overeating or emotionally eating, right? So the best thing you can do is just stop and go to bed. <laughs> so getting enough sleep is really important. Lowering stress levels is really important. Um, there's so much on sleep, but I won't go into that now. Stress reduction, eating lots of plants, uh, getting all of your nutrients. As you heard, you know, nutrient deficiencies can be problematic. Uh, da, da, da. avoiding excess alcohol. That's a huge one. Alcohol, the simple, this, you know, the simple point there is that it acts like a high glycemic food among other things. It's kind of like drinking, drinking sugar, uh, avoiding bad fats, you know, not too much trans fat, polyunsaturated fats, excessive omega-6s, avoiding nicotine, reducing salt intake, which contributes to hypertension. I think there's, 
you know, I have, I have, um, I don't think I've talked about it here. I've talked about it in a lot of client sessions, but salt is a little nuanced, you know? So like, I personally don't monitor my salt intake at all, but that's because I don't eat any processed food. So the only salt in my food is the salt I'm adding to it. And it's actually very important because it's one of our electrolytes and we need it. However, again, it's nuanced, right? If hypertension is a problem for you, or if you do get a lot of excess salt from other, you know, processed foods in your life, then you want to reduce it. So we can talk about that another time. Uh, Reduce exposure to air pollution and small particle, um, you know, environmental kind of disruptors. Man, I have to say one of the nice things about using a mic uh, is that I can just speak, I can even speak at a low volume, I really don't like to speak loud and I get really loud when I teach, but it's great. It's like very intimate. (laughs) I'm enjoying it. I hope you're enjoying it too. So the last note that I'll make here, the last category of this conversation is herbs to support insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome. So there are so many, it would probably take me two hours to go through all of these. So I'm just going to go through the ones that are, like the, the, the heavy hitters and the, the accessible ones to find and to use. American ginseng. So it helps to lower blood sugar and improve insulin sensitivity. Uh, Asian ginseng lowers fasting glucose and HbA1c, which is that inflammatory marker. Uh, it improves insulin sensitivity. It also helps to reduce cortisol levels. Remember, it's a stimulating adaptogen. Astragalus uh, has a long history of use for blood sugar issues. Uh, Helps to um, prevent, I was looking for that word, prevent induced uh, insulin resistance and increase uh, glycogen synthesis. Also berberine containing plants. So I mentioned those earlier and I said I would come back to them. So here we are. In the 1960s, America's best known herbalist, Dr. John Christopher, used to recommend golden seal, which contains berberine, for treating diabetes. This was an unconventional use for the herb and many herbalists did not feel that it was effective or appropriate. But we have since found that isolated berberine which is the active constituent of golden seal, also found in Chinese coptis, Oregon grape root, barberry, yellow root, and huang bai. It has been found to significantly lower blood sugar levels, enhance insulin sensitivity, reduce triglycerides, uh, and more. It is believed to work by activating AMPK, which enhances insulin sensitivity and mitochondrial function. Lots of other herbs do that. We could maybe even dive into AMPK in the future. So many things. Now, berberine is, I'm going off notes here for a minute. Berberine is poorly absorbed and quickly excreted. So, Berberine concentrated extracts are not always the best bet. It's a little bit like curcumin. Curcumin from turmeric works best when you take, if you want a concentrated curcumin, you know, supplement or extract, 
take that with full spectrum turmeric and it works better. It's that magic of nature, you know, full spectrum plants tend to be the best absorbed and the best, um, you know, in efficacy. So berberine, again, if you're using a concentrated extract, try to find one that's blended with the full plant as well, or just work with the whole herbs. And in this case, I would personally recommend a, well, I would either do a tincture. So you're getting the, the bitter benefits of some of these plants, or I would do a capsule because it's generally in a capsule, it's way more concentrated than like I don't know, a tea, but I'm not even sure if berberine is water soluble. I would kind of think that it's not, but I don't remember offhand. Uh, Other plants that are great for metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance, bitter melon, basically everything bitter, you know, minus the basically everything bitter is great. Um, Black seed, blueberry fruit. So blueberry is a low glycemic fruit has high, high antioxidant and anti-inflammatory activity. Uh, it has been shown that the powder or fresh or even the, the sort of medicinal jam that I think we're sold out of now, but we had that Hawthorne blueberry jam, uh, they very significantly enhanced insulin sensitivity in obese uh, men and women. And... Da, 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 da. Higher intake, so one cup a day if you're eating the fresh berries, is uh, more effective than a half cup. Cinnamon bark, this is one of my favorites. Cinnamon is great for uh, blood sugar levels, utilization of fat by cells, enhances insulin sensitivity, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, hypocholesteremic, so it's great for cholesterol levels. Uh, so many things to mention here. I love cinnamon. You probably know that already. I recommend it lots. I think it's a great, 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 super affordable, very accessible herb slash spice. Um, cacao needs to be hundred percent Siberian ginseng, otherwise known as Eleuthero is a great one. Fenugreek seed, uh, garlic helps to decrease blood sugar levels and blood pressure, Uh, helps to improve glycemic control by increasing insulin sensitivity. Green tea, great one. Green tea and black tea both increase the metabolism only temporarily, uh, but they do while you're drinking them. Anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, uh, enhance insulin sensitivity. They increase uh, glutathione in the liver. Hibiscus flower, you always see hibiscus, well, usually see hibiscus in metabolic blends. It's a great one. Just drink that tea. Drink that tea. Uh, Lowers blood sugar levels, decreases insulin resistance, improves blood lipid levels. So, you know, fat in the blood, essentially. Holy basil, goji berry, maitake mushroom, prickly pear. Let's see if there's any others. Uh, Gymnema, I talked about that. Vitamins, I'm kind of skipping those because like I mentioned, we could be here all day. And then also, you know, going to put in a vote for fermented foods, high quality fish if you're not vegan, olive oil, 
lots of spices. I'm kind of scanning here. Garlic, ginger, green tea, low carbohydrate, you know, low, low glycemic diet. Uh, lots of, oh, eat for color. You know, the berries, the dark purples, dark greens. There were a lot of colors in that list. Like berberine is this bright orange. We have all the, you know, goji and blueberries and hibiscus, dark greens. So that is kind of the net. And like I mentioned, we could, you know, we could spend all day here, but hopefully that was a thorough description of metabolic syndrome and kind of the related, the, the context for it, right? What is it? What is it? What is it defined by? What does it lead to and contribute to? What can we do to prevent it? What can we do to reverse it? And then, you know, where does intermittent fasting come into all of this? And what are the herbs that we see that are, you know, sort of globally supporting blood sugar, metabolic function, um, insulin resistance, all of those sorts of things. So this felt like an important topic. Thank you for all of your questions related to it. Let me just open our doc here and see where we're going next. I think, I don't know, I'm not going to anticipate here, but I think next time we might go back to uh, multiple questions per episode just because we have so many and I don't want to make you wait too long. Though, if you like these single these single topic episodes, feel free to, you know, give a vote for one versus the other. Uh, we have questions about, oh, yes, the social media. This is great. So people who are re- rude to me on social media, I have quite the story for you. We've got a new one recently. So um, how do I handle that? We have herbs for dryness, dry eyes, dry throat. Uh, we have questions about burnout, long COVID, uh, da, da. questions about mixing herbs, um, herbal supports for broken bones and pain, dental health, uh, arthritis and inflammation, alopecia, some things about how to film content. It's very fun. I love the mix of everything here. Hyperthyroidism, thyroid, you know, kind of thyroid health in general. Uh, chaga, doing a deep dive into chaga. Some questions about LDL. Uh, we have a question from an opera singer, which is so fun. Uh, I love the opera. Magnesium, PCOS and irregular periods. This is a big one. I would, yeah, we'll get to that. And so much more, so much more pH balance, how to affect pH balance in the body. Okay, so I'll stop scrolling. Um, As always, thank you so much for being here. Um, Please, please give me feedback. Do you like the audio? Do you desperately miss the video? Do you like these single topic episodes? Do you like the grab bag of all the things? How are you doing? How is your January? How's your year? That's all. That's all. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. I will, you know, watch your inbox for updates and I will talk to you again soon. Bye.